ಸುಖದಂ ಕೇವಲಂ ಜ್ಞಾನಮೂರ್ತಿಂ ದಂಡಾತೀತ ಗಗನ ಸದೃಶ ತತ್ತಮುಷಾಲಾಕ್ಷಮಲಮಚಲಂ ಸರ್ವಧೀ ಸಾಕ್ಷಿಭೂತ ಭಾವಾತೀತ ತ್ರಿಗುಣರಹಿತ ಸದ್ಗುರುಂಗಮಿ ವಿ ಸ್ಯಾಲ್ಯೂಟ್ ದಿ ಲೀಡರ್ ಆಫ್ ಅವರ್ ಸೋ ಥ್ರು ಹೂಸ್ ಗ್ರೇಸ್ ಅವರ್ ಇಗ್ನೋರೆನ್ಸ್ ಇಸ್ ಡಿಸ್ಪೆಲ್ ಹೂಸ್ ನೇಚರ್ ಇಸ್ ದ್ಯಾಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಅಬ್ಸಲ್ಯೂಟ್ ರಿಯಾಲಿಟಿ ವಿಸ್ ದಿ ಗಿವರ್ ಆಫ್ ಆಲ್ ಪೀಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಹ್ಯಾಪಿನೆಸ್ ವಿಸ್ ದಿ ಎಂಬಾಡಿಮೆಂಟ್ ಆಫ್ ನಾಲೆಜ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಲಿಬರೇಷನ್ ವಿಸ್ ಬಿಯಾಂಡ್ ಗುಡ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಈವಿಲ್ ಪೇನ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಪ್ರೇಜರ್ ಲೈಫ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಡೆತ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಆಲ್ ಪೇರ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಅಪೋಸಿಟ್ಸ್ ವಿಸ್ ಆಲ್ ಪರ್ ವೇರಿಂಗ್ ಲೈಕ್ ದಿ ಸ್ಕಾಯ್ ಹೂ ಇಸ್ ದಿ ಒನ್ ಗೋಲ್ ಆಫ್ ಅವರ್ ಸ್ಪಿರಿಚುವಲ್ ಆಸ್ಪಿರೇಷನ್ ಹೂ ಇಸ್ ಒನ್ ವಿದೌಟ್ ಎ ಸೆಕೆಂಡ್ ಇಟರ್ನಲ್ ಇಮ್ಯೂಟಬಲ್ ಸ್ಟೇನ್ಲೆಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಪ್ಯೂರ್ ಹೂ ಇಸ್ ದಿ ಕಾನ್ಸ್ಟೆಂಟ್ ವೀಕ್ನೆಸ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಚೇಂಜಿಂಗ್ ಫೆನಮೆನ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಯೂನಿವರ್ಸ್ ಮೇ ವಿ ಥ್ರೂ ಹೀಸ್ ಗ್ರೇಸ್ ಸೀ ವಾಟ್ ಇಸ್ ನೋಬಲ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಅಪ್ಲಿಫ್ಟಿಂಗ್ ಮೇ ವಿ ಥ್ರೂ ಹೀಸ್ ಗ್ರೇಸ್ ಹಿಯರ್ what is pure and spiritual may we through his grace go beyond darkness and illusion and realize truth in this life peace 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 be unto us and to all living beings i shall read to you a few verses from the bhagavad gita the lord said even in ancient time o sinless one a twofold devotion was taught by me to the world devotion to knowledge for the contemplative and devotion to work for the active not by merely abstaining from action does a man reach the state of actionlessness not by mere renunciation does he arrive at perfection verily no one can remain even for an instant without doing work for driven by the gunas born of prakriti everyone is made to act in spite of himself he who restrains his organs of action but continues to dwell in his mind on the objects of the senses deludes himself and is called a hypocrite but he who restrains his senses with his mind and directs his organs of action to work with no feeling of attachment he or juna is indeed superior do your allotted action for action is superior to inaction and even the bare maintenance of your body will not be possible if you remain inactive now this morning we intend to speak on the yoga and inner serenity or inner serenity through the practice of yoga now you see yoga is becoming of late very popular in this country 
you see yogis, well, in most all big cities, giving instruction and so on and so forth. Now, what is yoga? What is the real meaning of yoga? The word yoga is derived from a Sanskrit root, which means to unite. The yoga etymologically means the union of man with God or the union of the individual soul with the supreme soul. Now, this is the meaning of yoga. And also the word means the discipline to achieve that union. Now, Bhagavad Gita says at one place that the serenity of mind, the equanimity of mind, the calmness of mind is yoga. Now, here you give another definition. The yoga is the calmness of mind, not through the renunciation of action, but it means an inner peace which you enjoy in the midst of outer activity. Now, the main characteristic of modern man is his intense activity. Now, this intense activity is the result of the excess of what the Hindu psychologists call Rajas. There are three gunas, as we have heard many a time, I explained from this pulpit, the, they are called the Satta, Rajas and Tamas. They constitute, these three gunas, they constitute our nature. And nature includes here, nature means our psychophysical makeup. These three elements are present in our mind and our body. What are these three gunas? They are very abstract philosophical terms. As one great Western philosopher said, Paul Dyson, he said to a Hindu, the word guna is very simple. He easily understands it. But we Western people, we try to understand, but still we do not get to the real meaning. Well, these are abstract terms, the three gunas. But we can understand them by their manifestation. How they affect our physical and mental makeup. In that way, I think we can understand the words very well. Now, sattva. The sattva is the spiritual element in man. And it manifests itself, the sattva, one of the gunas, it manifests itself through simplicity. A man endowed with sattva is a very simple man without any outer ostentation. He is endowed with purity, calmness, serenity in all actions. He is introspective. And as a result of cultivating these virtues, simplicity, purity, introspection, he is a happy man. He is not discontented. He is a happy man. Now, as a result of this happiness, enjoying this happiness, he becomes gradually attached to happiness. He does not want to give up the attachment to happiness. Now, take the case of Rajash. The Rajash is the active element in man. It manifests itself through passion, greed, restlessness, 
an uncontrollable desire for work. You can't stop it. So the result is that worldly success and material happiness. Through cultivating Rajas, you become a successful man of the world and you enjoy material happiness and gradually you become attached to that material happiness. Then comes Tamash. Now Tamash manifests itself through confusion. A man with Tamash is always confused. He is indolent. He is inadvertent, deluded. So he also develops a kind of attachment, a stubborn attachment to stupidity. He is a stupid man. He does not like to get rid of his stupidity. He is attached to his stupidity. He enjoys his stupidity. So you see, all the three gunas form attachment. Through sattva, you are attached to happiness. Through rajas, you become attached to action. And through tamas, you become attached to your stupidity. Now, these three gunas create veils. They obscure the true nature of the soul. But the aim of life, aim of human evolution, or aim of spiritual discipline is not attachment of any sort. It is perfect freedom of the soul. Perfect freedom. Now, the sattva, the spiritual quality, it is a kind of veil. But it is a very thin veil. In order to realize freedom, one must get rid of this thin veil of sattva. As Christ said, the poor you will always have, but not me. Serving poor is the characteristic of sattva. So he said, no, we'll always have poor people and whom you can serve through sattva, but you will not have God. Now, the example of this thin veil is fire and smoke. The fire is obscured by smoke. You can see through the smoke, the fire, but still there is a barrier, a thin veil of smoke. Now, Rajas, the veil is heavier. The soul, quality of soul, is more hidden by Rajas than by Sattva. The example is given of the mirror covered by dust. Through that dust, you see the mirror, but it is obscure. The Tamash is the heaviest veil. The soul is completely obscured, hidden. And the example is given in the Hindu scriptures of the embryo in the womb. Well, the embryo completely hides the womb. Now, the rajas, the quality of rajas is very strong in modern man's nature. Impelled by rajas, a man often indulges in many foolish things, sometimes against his will. He does not want to do it, but something, some power from outside compels him to act foolishly. So, in Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna asks Sri Krishna this question, that being impelled by what a man indulges in sinful action in spite of himself, as if he is forced by some outside element, he indulges, he commits sinful action. Then Krishna says, well, this is the last. And 
anger, which are the result of rajas. They impel man to sinful action. Now this rajas is all devouring. At its worst, it manifests itself rajas through war and various violent crimes. People find outer activities and inner peace completely incompatible. Therefore, many people seek peace in solitude. They go to the woods or some quiet place to enjoy peace. Now, they enjoy a kind of peace, but they temporary peace. The Rajas, which is present, strong in him, it was temporarily suppressed. Then Rajas asserts itself again, and the man feels very unhappy in his solitude after some time. Well, so he again plunges into action. So Sri Krishna says that your very nature, your very nature, that Rajas in your nature, will impel you to action. You can't stop from this, well, insatiable desire to lead an active life. Now, complete non-action is impossible. You may be very spiritually developed man. As long as you are endowed with a body, as long as you identify yourself with body, you cannot give up action. So, Sri Krishna gives this warning to all that never be attached to non-action. You must be active. Your body will not be supported if you cease from action. Perhaps in the deepest meditation, which you call Samadhi, then activity stops. But otherwise, even such spiritual disciplines as prayer, meditation, they also are forms of activity. The mind is active. The body may not be active. When you pray or when you try to meditate, your mind is active. Now, with spiritual progress, our outer activities become fewer and fewer. But even then, a most spiritually advanced man, when he is not in Samadhi, he also must perform some sort of action or other. He meditates, he prays, he teaches others, he studies scriptures, must procure his food. So activity one cannot simply give up. It is said in our scriptures that without activity the whole creation will come to a stop. When the Creator, the Lord, projected the world, created all these different beings, he impelled into their heart this impulse towards action. Now, the way of worldly prosperity and happiness is through action. Bhagavad Gita teaches that with proper discipline, one can enjoy serenity and inner peace in the midst of action. Peace in the midst of action. You know, in a sacred music, there is a pause now and then. A pause in the sacred music. Or, take the case of a typhoon. 
the wind blows at high speed but they say there is a dead center in a typhoon so in the midst of outer activity we can find we can create or we can discover that dead center of peace or that pause in the sacred music now there is the wonderful work of art in india called the nataraja shiva which many of you have seen the dancing shiva now here you see when you look at the image a beautiful uh, work of art that it appears the shiva is dancing and with the rhythm of his dance he's creating preserving destroying the world with every step he creates he preserves he destroys tremendous activity now if you look at that image intently you will find that there is also a very deep meditation in shiva that deep meditation is not disturbed by creation preservation and destruction now take the case of arjuna he was in the battlefield and you can imagine what a place of activity the battlefield is and not only activity violent activity hatred jealousy violence all these things become fully manifest in a battlefield and there arjuna as you read in the 11th chapter had the highest vision of the godhead so one can have that inner peace inner serenity in the midst of action it is said that socrates he was marching with the army and suddenly stopped he remained glued to that spot for 24 hours he did not move real peace is inside man and that peace is not disturbed by our outer action now now what is that peace inside man the hindu philosophers say it is the atman the soul the very nature of the soul is that it is all peace all serenity shanta ayam atma the vedas says the atman is always at peace now they give the example of the ocean now the surface of the ocean is covered with waves big waves disturbed but if you go a few feet under the surface there is that great calmness because the ocean has this immutable depth and the surface waves cannot touch that inner depth of the ocean likewise there is peace behind this tremendous activities of the world that peace is in brahma who is the reality behind the creation as the soul is the reality in the body so brahman is the reality behind the names and forms always serene always peaceful untouched by desire and action see the more we commune with brahman or the soul the less will be disturbed by what you call the outside world now there are two things 
mentioned by the Hindu philosophers. One is called karma and the other is called karma yoga. Karma simply means action, any action. Well, anything that is done is an action from instinctive. Well, we move our hands or move our bodies, instinctive action. From instinctive to the spiritual, anything that is done is called karma or work. Then comes karma yoga. That means karma is performed as a yoga. That means action is performed as a spiritual discipline, ultimately leading to the realization of peace and freedom. The action is not given up, but action is performed as a spiritual discipline. Now, there are various motives behind our action. Well, there is the motive of name, acquiring name or fame or power or wealth or a social position or scholarship. Generally, we are motivated by this and then we take up suitable action. Now, that's general attitude of man. He is active either to support his family or to serve the society or to acquire name, fame, etc. But there is another attitude towards action that people are active because they believe that some good will come out of it. Some good will come out of this action. Not anything particularly regarding himself, but some good will come out unselfish work will produce some kind of good and it really will benefit humanity. So, we thus performing this motiveless action or unselfish action, we gradually develop a capacity to become a powerful moral giant. Now, selfish action oftentimes appears very dazzling. Look at the action of Napoleon. Alexander or Julius Caesar, dazzling effect. But that is like more or less the rocket that goes up very bright, but in a few seconds or in a minute it ends in a handful of ashes. So that is the nature of action, dazzling action performed by Alexander or Caesar or Napoleon. Now, there is another kind of action, unselfish action performed or undertaken by St. Francis or the great saints. They are hardly noticed, but they produce a different kind of result. They shine like the pole star, always there, nothing very dazzling about it, but the pole star from time out of mind from the very beginning of creation perhaps guides the way, shows the way to the confused mariners. Now, unselfish action ultimately creates a Buddha. You read in the life of Buddha, the stories of Buddha's 500 previous births. During these 500 previous births, Buddha performed various unselfish actions. Sometimes he was born as a deer or sometimes as a bird, 
is all described. And in every birth, he performed some sort of unselfish action. As a deer, he saw a hungry lion and he offered his own body for satisfying the appetite of the tiger. So in this way, in every bath, he performed some kind of motiveless, unselfish action and as a result, he was born as Buddha after 500 births. So, the action with a motive may be spectacular, but it has not much deep spiritual value. There is a wonderful story in the Mahabharata. These five Pandava brothers, Arjuna and the four brothers, you see, after the battle was over, well, they proclaimed themselves as the ruler of the earth. Their enemies were destroyed. So they performed the greatest sacrifice uh, one could perform at that time, in which Brahmins were invited, gifts were distributed, and oh, everything was done to make the occasion a very pompous one, but to proclaim their own glory and power. Well, after the sacrifice was over, you see in India sacrifice means you light a fire and you offer some oblations and then it is finished. It is successful. Well, when the sacrifice was over, a mongoose appeared there before the altar and his body, its body was half gold and half natural and it began to roll on the earth before the altar. And as he rolled and rolled and rolled, it began to mutter, oh, it is no sacrifice, it is no sacrifice, it is not the right sacrifice. Well, people are surprised because so much gifts were made and the oh, sacred books were recited, so on and so forth. But why was it not the right sacrifice, not the real sacrifice? So they asked the mongoose. Well, Mongu said, you know, just I am coming from another sacrifice. There was a famine in one part of the country and there was a family of three people, husband, wife and the child, they are Brahmins. And they went without food for a number of days. They were almost starving. And then they procured a handful of flour and from this flour, they made three pieces of bread and they were about to eat and they had been starving. Then a guest arrived and in India you must first of all feed the guest. So the male member of the family he said, you take my piece of bread. And he ate the piece of bread, the guest, he said, oh, my hunger, well, has increased by eating your piece of bread. I want more. His wife said, well, you take my piece of bread. And he ate that. He still said, no, my hunger is not still satisfied. Then this child said, you take my piece of bread. So he ate the three pieces of bread. And then the Brahmin said, the guest said, now I am satisfied. Now I am happy. And the mongoose saw the whole thing. And he began to roll on the ground. And there are a few grains of flowers lying scattered. And as his body touched those few grains of flour, half the body became gold. So he wanted to find out another sacrifice which will make 
the other half gold. He said, I had been looking everywhere and I could not find the sacrifice. So I heard of your big sacrifice. I came here and I was rolling on the ground to see if my other half of body could be turned into gold. But it was no sacrifice because you are only seeking your power or name or fame, so on and so forth. Now there are some secrets of what you call Karma Yoga, the action done as a spiritual discipline. First we have to remember when we practice this spiritual discipline that each man is great in his own place. We are asked not to imitate other people. It is better to die performing your own duty. Duty which the sense of duty which you have developed on account of your environment, heredity or education perform that duty. You see there are men of different temperaments, different intelligence, different capacity for doing things. There are different ideals. So everybody should be encouraged to do his own duty. When he has done it, then he will be qualified for a higher duty. Now in the meantime, he should take pride in what he is doing. Maybe a very humble thing, a blacksmith or a stonemason. Well, he should take pride in what he is doing. Well, that pride is now disappearing from the world. In this machine age, automation, nobody is proud of his work. People regard them as part or cogs in a machine. Now, I remember, you know, we have a cottage in Thousand Island Park and I needed some uh, stonework and steps. My steps should be fixed to stone. So the old stonemason came and he did a beautiful job. And I said, oh, you are a wonderful uh, mason. He said, oh, I'm wonderful. There are others also like that. He said, well, are you not proud of your work? He said, yes, I am proud of my work. As long as I do it well, I am proud of my work. I believe I am a greater man. I will be a greater man than the President of the United States. If I do my duty well and the President of the United States does not do his duty well. So every man is great. Uh, well, every man is great in his own place. Now, well, you must take pride in what you are doing. Do not be over ambitious. Of course, I know this is against the modern spirit, but the scripture said, don't be over ambitious. Do not go. Do not try to achieve something which is beyond your capacity. You will come to grief. There is a story which you learned when you were very young, children. I remember it so well. There was a stone cutter. His work was to cut stones from a rock, a big rock, and he had to cut stones, sitting in this hot sun, and then selling, sell these pieces of stone in the market and earn his little, you see, money. One, it was very hot, scorching hot, and he was cutting this stone. He was very tired. He was very weary. He looked at the sun and he said, ah, 
the sun is more powerful than I am. You see, the sun is scorching me, giving me pain. Ah, I wish I could be the sun. And instantly he became the sun. And he was very happy. Ah, now I shall burn the whole earth with my heat, scorching heat. I shall burn the whole earth. So, the sun, you see, was bright, very hot, and the trees and the plants and the grass, everything began to wither, and he was very happy. His power. I have acquired new power. Well, lo and behold, suddenly a cloud came and hid the sun. And he was very sad. He said, ah, that cloud is more powerful than I am because it can hide my splendor, my power. Don't you know? I wish I could become cloud. And then he became cloud. And he began to deduce the earth with downfall, this cloud. Everything was fly, flooded. Forever, he looked around, he found everything was just covered with water. And he was very happy. He said, ah, now I have power. And suddenly he looked behind, uh, looked beneath, and he see everything was affected by, by, by the rain except one thing. One rock, stone rock, was standing there, completely unaffected by the rain. He said, ah, the rock is more powerful than I am. I wish I could be the rock. Instantly he became a rock. And he stood there, very happy, well, very proud of his power. He stood there for many years, and suddenly he began to hear some kind of sound, and looked below. And he saw a stone cutter slowly chipping out the stone, cutting the stone. Ah, the stone cutter is more powerful than I am. Let me be the stone cutter. So he became again what he was before, the stone cutter, you see. Well, so you see, nowadays, you see it nowadays, it's happening. During depression, you saw it. Well, a small businessman became very ambitious and he goes beyond his depth. He wants to become multimillionaire. Well, in a few days, and you know what happened oftentimes. He ultimately stands on the street selling pencil or apple. So, Bhagavad Gita warns us that don't undertake something which is beyond your power or ability or intelligence or capacity. You will come to grief. But even while doing ordinary action, a man can develop great spiritual power. Brother Lawrence, he was a cook in a monastery and he wrote the famous book, The Practice of the Presence of God, one of the greatest mystics of Rhineland during the 14th century. Or Spinoza, one of the greatest philosophers of the West, he was a lens grinder, ordinary work. Urbanian, he was a tinker. Paul, St. Paul, originally he was a tent maker. So we have to remember this, that each man can develop by remaining in his own place, can, can, can develop even the highest spiritual power. Then we have to remember another thing, by our action, we do not really help others. We do not help the world. We only help ourselves. It's very hard to remember. We, the world does not owe anything to us. We owe everything to the world. Every person when he is born, he is a debtor. We all have certain debts. 
from the moment of our birth. First of all, we have a debt to pay to the gods because gods means the natural forces well, bless us with rain or sunshine or other you know, things which are necessary, absolutely indispensably necessary for our life. So we have debtors to the gods and we discharge our debt by through worship, through prayer, so on and so forth. Then we are also debtors to our ancestors. From our ancestors we have inherited this body and through this body we shall realize the highest goal of life, maybe God. So we are indebted to our ancestors and how do we pay our debt to the ancestors? In our country there is a ceremony that every day we have to perform offering water and food for the satisfaction of the souls of our departed ancestors. I think in this country also you offer prayer to your departed relatives. Then we are also in debt to the philosophers, the seers, the enlightened men because we have inherited their spiritual philosophy. How do we pay off that debt? Well, through the study of the scriptures, spiritual culture and by transmitting to others. Then we are indebted to our fellow human beings without his co whose cooperation our life just becomes impossible. We pay our debts to them. How? Well, by through cooperation and also through the observance of moral and ethical laws. We are even indebted to the animals who often, as you know, well, keep us company. We are indebted to the insects. It is known that insects sometimes or oftentimes insects devour other insects which destroy our crops. So you see the world process is sustained by this mutual cooperation between gods, men, animals, insects. By helping others we really help ourselves in this way too. By helping others we get rid of our selfishness our egocentric attitude. Thus we make our mind and body fit, mind, body and senses fit instruments for the practice of higher spiritual disciplines. Now, yoga is defined in Bhagavad Gita as serenity of mind. Samattam yoga uchyate. The yoga is the serenity of mind or inner peace. What is the meaning of serenity? What is the meaning of serenity? The next verse says, remain unperturbed, remain undisturbed by pleasure and pain in gain or loss or in honor and dishonor, remain unperturbed. Face with a serene mind, pleasure and pain and honor and dishonor and profit gain a loss. Well, this does not mean we become, we remain indifferent towards them, not at all. It only means we cultivate a higher power of mind, a higher power of mind which enables us to remain serene 
when we are faced or confronted by these unavoidable things of life like pleasure and pain loss or profit and then loss or gain so on and so forth now we must not be attached attached to the agreeable or we must not turn ourselves away from the disagreeable we must remember that no action is absolutely perfect there is an element of imperfection in every action as there cannot be any fire without smoke so every work has an element of imperfection suppose in the morning you are going to church on a sunday morning is a good thing no doubt but you are stepping on some insects or killing some little creatures <laughs> in india there is a sect that is called the joino sect well they have carried this non violence non injury to the extreme if you go to india you will find these monks of this sect they always carry with them a broomstick and as they walk they sweep the ground in front of them so that they don't step on any insect and they always have pads of cotton in their nostrils so that they don't breathe any insect well <laughs> it is it they carry to almost ludicrous extreme i suppose if you give them an apple to eat they'll split the apple first and keep it for 2 or 3 hours so the life goes out and they don't their whole principle is ahimsa non violence they must not inflict any injury upon uh, any creature but as you know this is not possible for us you see for everybody in the world we must perform our duties but not long for the result it will come there is law of cause and effect if you have done your duty well you will get the good result but why should we long for it why should i spend sleepless nights thinking about my examination result if i have prepared my paper well if i have done well the result will come perhaps you will get greater result than you have dreamt of it is said the story you have i told here many times the story of buddha he was one day out for begging he was starving he did not have any food and a miser was coming home with a bag of rice on his head and buddha said well i am hungry oh, give me some rice he said no no you can go you can work for a healthy man why should i give you rice he said well i am hungry give me something so he opened the bag and gave him just one grain of rice and said now be satisfied buddha thanked him blessed him buddha went his way and the miser went home and he opened the bag of rice he found one grain of gold and then he said to him so ah why did not i give him the whole bag of rice <laughs> now so you see we must not long for result it will come the question is how to cultivate non attachment this is the most important discipline non attachment there are two disciplines in the hindu scriptures to cultivate non attachment now if you are a non dualist which means if you believe that the only thing real is the soul and everything else is unreal and the soul is one without a second there is only one universal soul so the soul being perfect without desire 
the soul really does not participate in any action. The actions are done by what we call the non-self. Non-self includes our body, our mind, our sense organs and the ego. Ego also according to Hindu psychology is non-self, not the real self. Who is the real self? The real self is the witness of the activities performed by the sense organs, the body and the mind. The witness consciousness we call it. Shakshmi Chaitanya. Witness consciousness. Now, so if we develop that concept of witness consciousness, that there is something in me, my real self, is absolutely uninvolved in action. By its presence, the sense organs, body and mind become active. As you know, in the presence of the magnet, the iron filings show activity. But the magnet does not take any part in action. So there is a soul in man, in everyone, but there is only one soul, which is always inactive, which is always at peace, which is the unattached witness of what the sense organs perform. Now the more we go, and the more we commune with that soul, the real self, and less we identify ourselves with the body, mind and sense organs, treat them just as instruments or channels, the more unattached we shall be to what we perform. But this is very difficult discipline. To completely dissociate yourself from body, mind and the sense organs, very difficult discipline. Only very few highly advanced soul can practice this discipline. Now there is easier discipline. That is practiced by dualists who regard the personal God as the ultimate reality and he is the real doer and we are his instruments. It is said in the Bhagavad Gita that Lord, he dwells in our heart and guides us in our action as the man from behind the screen, he pulls the strings, marionettes dance on the stage. So we are like all these marionettes, puppets, and the Lord is pulling the string and make us dance. So the thing is that we have to remember, everything is done by Lord. We are only his instruments. It is said in the Bhagavad Gita, when Arjuna refused to fight, Krishna said, why do you regard yourself as the author or the agent of killing? Don't you see that all these actions which will take place in the battlefield very soon, all these actions have already taken place in my cosmic mind. People who are going to die, they are already dead. In the cosmic mind, they are already dead. In God's mind, they are already dead. You only become the channel or instrument for accomplishing that action in this physical world. So, they regard themselves as God's instrument and they work to please God alone. Now, we must also remember that neither body nor the world is permanent. 
death is inevitable. But still, it should not depress us. As long as we have the body, we must work. If we perform a little different kind of work, we shall be free from this entanglement. Holy Mother used to say that the bondage of work, the chain of work, can be severed, destroyed only by work. So, we must not refrain from work. Through work, we know that the experience or the result which we obtain as a result of the work, that result was impermanent. So, we gradually develop non-attachment and from non-attachment we develop freedom. So, the action creates this non-attachment and then non-attachment freedom. Gradually we learn how to work like a master and not like a slave. At present, we are slaves of money, slave of family or slave of relatives or slave of society. Therefore, there is so much suffering, pain, anguish while performing daily duties of life. We must work through freedom. Then it will be work through love where there is slavery, there is no freedom. No idea we should not expect from our action any gratitude, any appreciation. It would be just work of love. Then the husband and wife in their relationship will know the true happiness, the real happiness. Now, what is the test of true love? Well, through love alone, one gets inner peace. There is no jealousy. There is no sense of possessiveness. The lovers give each other complete freedom. Real serenity or real calmness, inner peace, is obtained through communion either with your true self or the spirit behind the world, this Brahman or the Godhead. Now, they are really one. Now, there are two aspects of Godhead. One is the active aspect and the other is called the meditative aspect or non-active aspect. Now, God as an active agent, he is perpetually engaged in creation, preservation and destruction. So, we commune with that God, the creator, preserver and destroyer, through unselfish action. We try to propitiate him through our action by surrendering to him the fruit of our action. There is another aspect of God. It is the silent aspect. As I said, inside the typhoon, you have the dead center. So, in this hectic world process, you see, there is that spirit, but also outside, there is a tremendous activity. Now, that spirit inside, the dead center of the typhoon, or the pause in the sacred music, you commune with that through meditation. If your ideal is to become one with that pure spirit, then you emphasize meditation. Otherwise, you perform your duties according to Karma Yoga, which I have described. Now, you must not feel that these two paths, the path of peace and knowledge and the path of activity, they lead to two different goals. It is said in the Bhagavad Gita 
the goal that will be reached by the contemplative, the same goal will be reached by the active. But the active man must perform action without seeking the result. Yastu a man who has renounced the fruit of action, he is the real renouncer. Now, we are all beginners, you know. And what should be our daily discipline for this inner peace? Well, we begin our day with a prayer, with a meditation. When we draw our mind from the world for the time being, and we commune with God, we pray to God, according to the instructions we have received from our teachers. We begin our day. Then part of the day we devote to the study of the scriptures. Because the scriptures are our guide about what is right, what is wrong. We cannot always trust our reason. Because our reason plays many tricks with us. So you will find in the scriptures the unfailing guide about what should be done and what should not be done. And therefore, we should devote every day some time to the study of the scriptures. And then, we should do our daily duties, either in the office, or in the factory, or in the school, or wherever we may be, our allotted duties through love and freedom. We should not seek the result. All you may say that in this competitive world, if we do not seek the result, if we do not fulfill our ambition, then we shall be crushed. But here I do not know, it is a matter of faith, I suppose. The Lord says in the Bhagavad Gita that those who think of me with unswerving devotion, to them I bring what they lack and for them I preserve what they have. I suppose it is to be accepted as from faith. So, we should go into solitude whenever we can through prayer and meditation and the performance of our duties and by living in solitude from time to time we make our mind pure. Thus, when our mind becomes pure, you develop a new attitude towards your fellow man and towards the world. I often say and I often feel keenly what is religion? What does religion do to us? Well, God or other mystical visions, they cannot be demonstrated. But one sure result, I believe, of living a religious life, that you develop an attitude towards the world. Attitude of love, friendship, cooperation, these are the real outer manifestation of a God-centered life. And when you develop that attitude, then this world will no longer be a place of confusion or violence or conflict, but it will be a mart of joy. Om Do Shanti Rantariksham Shanti Prithivi Shanti Rapa Shanti Oshadaya Shanti, Banaspati Shanti, Vishya Deva Shanti, Sarvam Shanti, Brahma Shanti, Shanti Deva Shanti.
ओम शांति 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 पीस बी एंड टू अर्थ पीस बी एंड टू हेवन पीस बी एंड टू इंटरस्पेसेस पीस बी एंड टू डे एंड नाइट पीस बी एंड टू प्लांट्स एंड हर्ब्स पीस बी एंड टू फायर वाटर एंड अदर एलिमेंट्स पीस बी एंड टू मैन पीस बी एंड टू एंजल्स पीस बी एंड टू गॉड पीस बी एंड टू ऑल पीस बी एंड टू पीस 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 बी एंड टू अस एंड टू ऑल लिविंग बींग्स